When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Friday, July 5th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 322, featuring former Sports Illustrated and NBA.com writer Ian Thompson, is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Okay, everybody, welcome back in. Another new edition of Celtics Beat again on a Friday, not a Sunday, so hopefully we didn't screw you guys up. Just wanted to give you, I don't know, an early July 4th present. We could look at it that way and hope you had a great holiday, enjoyed the fireworks. Adam Kaufman with you. Now, I meant to mention this at the end of last week's show, forgot after a solid hour of Kemba Walker talk and uh, so much more with Stadium's Jeff Goodman. Go back and listen if you haven't, though. I can't imagine you've missed the show because I've tweeted it so many times, but NBA awards were last week and and the winners, MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo of the uh, Bucks. He only started playing basketball at age 13, 11 years ago, and he's already where he is, which is just mind-boggling. We could do an entire show on him and his history. He beat out James Harden and Paul George, Rookie of the Year. No surprise, Luka Doncic of the Mavericks, Coach of the Year, Mike Budenholzer, also of the Bucks, Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert from the Jazz, Sixth Man of the Year, Perennial, it seems, Sixth Man of the Year, Lou Williams, third time for the Clippers, Most Improved Player, Pascal Siakam, who was just terrific this year for the Raptors. The Hustle Award, actually went to Marcus Smart, something he didn't even know existed, but was still happy to win it. Named to the NBA's first uh, all-defensive team, and as we know, he was the top vote-getter for Defensive Player of the Year among guards as well. And Al Horford, dearly departed Al Horford. No, he's not dead. He's just dead to us, I guess, because he's with the Sixers now. He landed third in the Sportsmanship Award voting behind Mike Conley, who also changed teams, and of course, Kemba Walker, who also changed teams, and much more on him coming up because now he is a Celtics. So all of that is behind us. Far more pressing things, more important things. Free agency is underway, and it is possible that even as we chat right now, the Celtics are done because the money is just about dried up. With that, let's bring in Ian Thompson. He's here to chat all about it. You likely know Ian from his time at Sports Illustrated and NBA.com. Also recently wrote The Soul of Basketball. You can buy that at IanThompson.com as well as on Amazon, all over the place. Ian, I'm happy to buy the book, but listen, I want a signed copy. Oh. Absolutely, it's an X. I hold I hold the uh, the pen like a knife, and I <laughs> sign an X. But if that'll do, I'm happy to do it for you. Thank you. 
Yeah, well, that that would definitely be uh, you know sufficient. Put that right there on the shelf after I've read it, of course. But let's talk about this Celtics team, and I'm I'm going to ramble just a little bit more here to give people some background who haven't caught up, and then the rest of the show is mostly going to be you. So I'll let you save your voice. As I said, there's there's really no money left. The Celtics brought in Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor. They re-signed Daniel Tice and Brad Wanamaker. Also added a French center in uh, Vincent Poirier, and they've got all those rookies competing for jobs. But Will they make a trade? That's one of the things we're wondering about. Boston Herald Steve Bullpett reported that Boston is not done exploring moves for more impactful players. So hopefully something doesn't come down right before the show is released uh, over the course of the next day or so. But we've traveled that road a couple of times. We'll deal with it if, in fact, we have to. But uh, this is not where Boston wanted to be. They, they may be pleased. Danny Ainge may be pleased with where he is. But this is not where Boston wanted to be. Plan A for the Celtics was obviously having everything go well last year with Kyrie Irving. He re-signs. The team then trades for Anthony Davis, maybe even finds a way to acquire Kevin Durant. Those two were talking so much, Durant and Irving, about playing together wherever it was. That would have had to be a sign and trade. None of that happened. So it's on to plan whichever letter. Plan J, as many have joked with Jason and Jalen. And now, of course, Kemba Walker, one of the newest members of the Boston Celtics. Three-time All-Star from Charlotte. Four years, $141 million. And after his decision went public, which was immediately, Walker joined Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter, and he said, When you think of the Celtics, you think of championships. Sure. You think of winning. And that's what I'm about, competing for championships and winning. You know, that's something that I haven't been able to do throughout the, the early years of my career. You know, I haven't been a consistent winner in this league. And I just felt like Boston was the best fit for me to, you know, try and accomplish those kind of goals. So, new-look Celtics with Kemba and Cantor, thin bench led by Marcus Smart. They'll be fun, they'll be likable, they'll work hard, they'll buy into Brad Stevens. Much of last year's problems should be gone. But here's the thing. The collective ceiling is not as high on paper as that group that entered last year and then totally flamed out. So, Ian, like I said, I hand it off to you at this point. How do we feel, how should we feel about this new group of C's? It's, it's a great question because um, you have to take into account the reality of the, the Kyrie Irving influence. So, you know, when he first came to Boston, hopes were really high, and but they, they were blind hopes. People around here didn't know what they were getting. They, they knew about all the talent, but they didn't know about the influence he would have on the team, as a leader, in the locker room, all of that stuff. Well, now a lot, no, a lot, a lot, a lot more is known two years later. And based on that, I, I don't think I don't think it's it's really right to think anymore in terms of, you know, what could have been because now you realize it never could have been with Kyrie. Mm. Um, I I look at him a lot from the Kobe Bryant perspective, and um, I've known Kobe a long time. Go way back with him. I did the first cover story of him for Sports Illustrated in the second year in the league. Um, Kobe is a strange kind of guy. And it took Kobe Bryant a long time to learn how to be a leader. And his first half of his career, especially with Shaquille O'Neal, all you would hear was talk about he's just different and it's hard to connect with him. And he has, he has difficulty relating to other people. He has difficulty inspiring his teammates, raising them without denigrating them, all that kind of stuff. Well, who does, who does Kyrie always talk about as his role model, as his hero? It's Kobe Bryant. And I just see I see a lot of resonance there between the, the two journeys. You know, um, 
Kyrie uh, wanted to leave LeBron. Kobe wanted to leave Shaq. Both wanted their own teams. When they both got their own teams, they realized it's a lot harder than they than they ever could have dreamt. Um, and and so, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss Kyrie as a failed player that he's never going to be a leader. He's never going to be great at it because he's still relatively young and it's taken a lot of players in the NBA a long time to learn how to do it. It took Michael Jordan many years to learn how to do it. It took Kobe a long time. It took uh, LeBron time. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write him off, but I would say that with this team, they're probably better off without him at this point. And it is time to move on. And so I look at Kemba Walker as, as a great save, you know, um, Danny Ainge has always talked about how, uh, creating your own shot to win a game, making that shot at the end of a game, that's the most valuable skill in the NBA. And Kemba Walker is one of the best at that. And he did it on a team where he had to do everything in Charlotte. He didn't have any talent around him, really. Um, and now he's on the team where he's going to have a lot more space. There's going to be a lot less wear and tear on him. Uh, and I think the players around him will be a lot better. You'll see them get back on the development track, at least I would think the Celtics are hoping that's what will happen. So you'll see Jason Tatum uh, maybe get back on his feet and start to rise again. Uh, Jalen Brown will continue along the way he did towards the end of last year. And Gordon Hayward's going to play better and get more shots, you know, and uh, all these different guys will, will just improve. I think you're right. Are they a championship team the way they're constructed right now? No, but I think they have a better chance to develop now that Kyrie's gone. So going back to what you were just saying, though, about the Kobe influence, and this is something I've I've asked other people this question almost in jest, but you have a much greater background on it, and I, I guess I ask you more realistically, the fact that in the past, Kyrie's not the only one. Jason Tatum has looked up to Kobe Bryant. The two have worked out together, and many have questioned the influence on Tatum's game, modeling his after Kobe on the floor in some of the more selfish ways that Kobe used to play, but even off the floor, should that be a concern? Is is that the guy that, that Celtics fans, or forget the fans, forget media, any of us, Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, the Celtics organization, is Kobe a guy that they should want Jason Tatum learning under the wing of? Well, right now I would say yes, because um, he needs to be a ruthless, cutthroat, killer scorer. He, he needs to to be the guy that, the, is number one on the scouting report and everybody everybody's trying to stop him and he says you can do whatever you want I'm going to beat you anyway that's what they need Jason Tatum turn, to turn into so that's the good Kobe um, they can worry about the other stuff later let him let him prove that he's this all NBA level scorer and then you can live with all the other stuff and the other difference is you know, it's one thing for for Jason Tatum to want to emulate Kobe off the ball, playing off the ball. But Kyrie Irving has the ball. He's the point guard. He's supposed to be the guy that's balancing everything out. And that's what made it especially problematic, I think, that and this free agency. And the fact that you, you clearly could see he was flailing as a leader. He didn't know mm-hmm. how to do it. And he kept trying different tactics, and none of them worked. And it Really, it just it shows just how difficult it is to be a great player in this league. More is asked of the great players in the NBA than of the great players in any other sport. 
I mean, if you're if you're LeBron James, okay, you're supposed to be the best player on the team. You're supposed to show leadership at both ends. You're supposed to dictate this balance of when am I going to shoot? When am I going to set up other guys? Because the team needs the great player to score between 25 and 30 a game, right? But he's got to know when he shoots and when the other guy shoots. And this guy needs a shot. And then in the locker room, you've got to be the social leader. And you set the tone in the locker room. And you're you're the one that sort of uh, you define the relationships in that room and how people are going to respond. And, and you have to do it at both ends. You have to play defense as well as offense. The, the other sport, Mike Trout doesn't have to worry about all that stuff. And mm. Tom Brady is, isn't even on the field for half of the plays. Right. Um, and, and football is so much struct, so much more structured. So there is such a demand on these players. And, and, uh, and Kyrie trying to pull that off, it was clearly right now at this stage in his career, at, at his age, it was too much for him. Jason Tatum is, it doesn't have those demands on him as a guy that plays off the ball. So you mentioned with Kemba Walker, obviously, that, and, and you're not the first. Jeff Goodman, who knows Kemba very well, talked to me a lot about this last week. We've heard Jim Calhoun, his longtime UConn coach, talk about that as well. The fact that he believes, as you do, that, that Kemba's going to come in, he's going to make those around him better, such as, in particular, the development of Jason Tatum, of Jalen Brown. But he is also a ball dominant point guard. So, what was it that you think that that separates Kyrie in that respect and Kemba from one another? Because clearly, guys did not develop very well around Kyrie, but he still got a whole bunch of assists. He got other guys involved. You know, he, he averaged more assists than than Kemba ever did without you know, to your point, not a whole lot of talent around him in Charlotte. But what what will be the difference? What what is it that allows Kemba to help the development where Kyrie clearly failed? You know, you're you're making me think. I can't remember. Can you remember one time over all these years where you ever heard Kemba Walker complain about his teammates? No, certainly not. Yeah, yeah, they haven't surrounded me with enough talent. They're too cheap around here. You know, uh, uh, we need to get more t- at the end of the season when they've had bad seasons, which is most of his years in the NBA. I'm having to do everything. They they don't want to spend money on players. We have to get more talent here. How am I supposed to compete? You never heard any of that negative stuff with him. Everything was always upbeat. So if he's doing that in public, he's surely doing that in private with his teammates. Mm. He's surely, surely believing in them and saying, look, I know we lost. We're going to do it. We're going to get better. <clears throat> and then you never heard a single teammate complaining about Kemba Walker. You never, you haven't heard any of that off the record kind of whispering or reports say that they're unhappy with him. And then Michael Jordan loves Kemba Walker. You, you've never heard Michael Jordan say a bad thing about him or even hint something about him. He loves the competitiveness in the guy. Kemba Walker was the perfect uh, star for th- that team in Charlotte where they they don't want to spend. You know, they, they're limited right off the bat. And yet he fought every game. And, and he would have those streaks where he'd just carry them with his scoring, but then he'd get worn out. He just he couldn't do it all by himself. You never heard any complaint from him. That's the difference. That's the difference. Kyrie now has bailed on two different winning teams, and Kemba was with a losing team all those years and never bailed. And even now, uh, only left because he got a chance to go to one of the storied franchises in the NBA. And he's a city guy who gets to go to a real NBA city and uh, and really play in a passionate environment after playing the half-field arenas in Charlotte all those years. I don't know. I just I just see a guy that really is 
really has earned this right to be in this position with the Celtics and is really going to value it and has a history of building up the people around him. Um, so, yeah, he's a ball-dominant player, um, but I would think he's also going to be a very coachable player. And that whereas Kyrie and Brad Stevens had difficulties, clearly, uh, I would I would think part of the, the attraction for the Celtics was that um, – the, the coach and the point guard ought to get get along very well based on everything we know about Kemba Walker. And if anyone missed it, Kemba wrote a, a great piece for the Players' Tribune, as so many of these athletes tend to do now, about his time in Charlotte and how much he enjoyed it and thanked virtually everyone it seems like he ever met there and talked about how much he, he wants to have success in Boston and lead this team back to the top and said everything that you would want him to say coming in. And clearly there's there's no diva in this guy. He had a very – it wasn't a shot. People would like to interpret it as a shot at Kyrie Irving just in their different leadership styles, that he doesn't shout guys out in public, that everything's behind the scenes, that he's a leader by example, and all of the things that you've said and others have said, and I think it's all true. There's no reason to doubt any of it. But as far as the why he left Charlotte part, I think everything that you just outlined is is absolutely a fact. But you know what you didn't mention is also – he was lowballed. I mean, Charlotte offered, if if the report is to be believed anyway, five for 160, which, yes, is one more year, but it's less money per year than what he was eligible and ultimately did get from Boston. So if Michael Jordan loves him as much as he does, did it just go back to, hey, we don't want to spend, even if we sign this guy, we're, we're stuck in mediocrity anyway? I mean, why why the what I think a lot of people interpreted as a disrespectful offer on the way out the door? Because I, I don't think it. I don't think when they were making that decision, it was about Kemba Walker. I think it was about their franchise and the way they've always run it, and what Michael Jordan dictates in terms of spending. And that they just, if they had signed him to the amount of money it would have taken to keep him, and then they they kept the same uh, fiscal approach that they've had all these years, they'd be dead. They couldn't bring in anybody around him. They they. They, they would have no avenues, nothing. So I think what they probably did was they made him the best offer they could within their limited means. And, look, I'm not trying to make anybody have anybody feel sorry for, for Charlotte or sure. Michael Jordan, uh, but that's just how they've chosen to run their business. They're, they're the, they've got a, a ceiling, a hard ceiling, and they're not going to spend beyond it, and that's all what they've always done. And they're willing to lose in exchange for that, that approach. So that's what they did with him. So I don't think it, I don't think it should be seen as disrespectful to him. I think it was more protective of their way of doing business, and this is how we're going to do it, and we're not going to spend any more than this. And if we'd gone above and beyond to keep him, uh, it, it would have killed the rest of the roster. There would have been no hope for it. Let's talk about Ennis Cantor a little bit because he said in a text to I can't remember who he sent it to it might have been Mark Spears or or someone like that a, a national reporter anyway that the Blazers gave him six minutes to decide whether to return to Portland that wasn't enough time to decide because he wanted to talk with his family and uh, ultimately said no and of course as we know lands in Boston two years ten million dollars second year is a player option which actually I was a little bit surprised by but ignoring that was he the right guy to add to this mix because he's a good scorer he's an elite rebounder but he's terrible defensively and we know how important that end of the game is in a brad stevens system yeah that, that is going to be noticeable when um when he is uh when he's not protecting the rim 
when the lane appears to be open, that that's going to be a bummer. For the amount of money they're spending, uh, it's a great signing. Um, they, the rebounding's been a, tro- been a problem for the Celtics for a while, and he's a terrific rebounder at both ends. And he gives them production. He's another go-to guy to space the floor, and he can score in all the sorts of different ways. So for that amount of money, for what's going to be a starting center, as long as he can stay healthy, you know, he has a bad shoulder that's been known to pop out, and those things don't go away. They tend to get worse as the years go on. Nonetheless, for the amount of money they're paying, he's a great stopgap. He, he's, he's a very, very good fill-in guy for now. And you know they're, they're going to be trying everything they can to develop Robert Williams to be the kind of uh, glue defender that they really need and the kind of shot blocker, rim defender that they haven't had for an awful long time. So um, for now, I think he's the best really within their limited means that they could have hoped for. And, and they get more production out of the big man spot offensively than they would have had before. So it becomes a, I, I see it becoming a little bit of a different kind of team, whereas, you know, the team that went to the, the conference finals a couple of years ago was really scrappy defensively and defense was their uh, their identity. And now I think it's going to be offense is their identity. They're going to be more of a high-scoring team and they're, they're going to be trying to outscore you a little bit more than stop you. You know Brad Stevens is going to be all over the defense and insisting that people defend. And Marcus Smart will do his best to be a leader in that way. But I, I just I just see now that this is more of a of a, a scoring team for now, which is fine. They're not going to win the championship anyway, and develop the scoring of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and these other young guys and the rookies they're bringing in, and and use this and get Gordon Hayward back on his feet as a scorer, as a, a highly productive, efficient, uh, versatile uh, offensive guy. Do all that. And, and then develop the defense as you go along by bringing in different people. I believe the answer to this question is yes, but many have asked me on Twitter and, and asked me to ask you as well. Is it safe to assume that Cantor's the starting center out of the gate, or do you think that there's any sort of uh, you know challenge toward him coming out of you know guys in summer league maybe or obviously more realistically training camp and preseason? Well, I mean, if, if they think Robert Williams is ready to do that, uh, then – Maybe they would start him, but I, I would think Cantor would be the starter and the guy that's ready to start and has started before for a lot of teams, a lot of different situations. So I, I would think it'd be him. And having him on the floor with the other guys, now, you know, when, when you think about their potential starting lineup, it makes them very difficult to guard. You have to guard everybody. Um, and you have to make sure that you keep a body on Cantor because he's such a good offensive rebounder. So it allows you to start the game uh, with a real sense of strength. You know, you have a real identity right out of the gate. This is who we are. Uh, five guys you have to guard. Uh, every every spot on the floor is dangerous now. And, and that's what I would think they go with based on what we know about the roster right now. From a personality standpoint, obviously Ennis Cantor is a character. And for anyone who doesn't know, Michael Pina, he's also part of the CLNS family. He uh, wrote a... I don't know, for, for lack of a better term, I guess, an expose, a great feature on, on Cantor, I think, last year. And I tweeted that out recently, so you can check it out. But just a, a long sort of telling of, of Cantor's background and, and some of the different things that he weighs in on that you wouldn't even think about. We know the guy's a wrestling fan. He's, he's got the situation there with the Turkish government, but not even including that. He is 
someone that definitely likes to interject uh, how he feels about X, Y, and Z. And he is also someone who has historically complained when his playing time diminishes. Is that a concern, or is it, does he have a good understanding of what his role is coming into this team, knowing full well that, as you said, it's for inexpensive dollars anyway? You know, I'm, I'm sure if if uh, if he isn't getting the playing time he would like or thinks he deserves, uh, people will hear about it. But it's not going to be like some $30 million player complainer. It's not going to be like when um, uh, Kyrie makes a passive-aggressive statement that that makes you question his relationship with Brad Stevens. You know, in the context of Ennis Cantor and who he is and how much he makes and his role in the team and his future with the team, if he causes a bit of a stir, yeah, it'll, you know, people will talk about it on Twitter, but it's not going to be that big of a deal. And the other players are going to know uh, who it's coming from and his role. And I, I – I don't think there's that that much to worry about there. So as mentioned earlier off the top of the show, Steve Bullpet reported that the Celtics are still trying to add a larger name to uh, team with the rest of this squad. Are, are you hearing anything in terms of, you know, what the Celtics might be looking to do in terms of who they may package? I know a lot of people have brought up the possibility of moving Jalen Brown, especially with a, a new contract looming, or just what's realistic in terms of who could be coming the other way. I haven't because I think it'd be really hard to give up uh, Jalen Brown, even though even with his contract situation and look, they they've cleared a lot of space now, and I think part of it is to maybe be able to to not have to worry about their young players and be able to to invest in development rather than go after the quick fixes. So um, I I don't see I don't. I'm sure they're looking at trades, especially they have to do everything they can because um, there's been such a, a talent drain in free agency and and it's gone the wrong way for them that way. And so they're always going to be looking at possibilities anyway. You know, Danny Ainge loves to look into trades. It's it's a fun part of the job for him, but hmm. I, I don't, I don't see that happening and I don't necessarily see that they should be looking at trades from a position of weakness. I think they're, I think they're offer, op, operating now from a position of strength. Um, they still have that Memphis pick coming in next year or the year after. Uh, that might be valuable to them to keep now or, or to trade. Who knows? Um, but I, I, I'm actually I, – I find myself – second-guessing myself on this because there's just such a negative vibe around the team. But I'm optimistic about the team next year. I, I think especially if Kawhi Leonard, depending on what Kawhi Leonard ends up doing, and right now as we talk, Adam, we don't know what he's going to do. Right. But if he were to leave Toronto, then the East becomes wide open, especially after Jimmy Butler's gone from Philly. And after all the, all is said and done and they lose Kyrie, they lose Al Horford, if Kawhi Leonard leaves, I I could see the Celtics being right there as a, a team that has a shot at, uh, at making the finals next year. It's really interesting to think about because, as you said, uh, there has been so much movement around the league, and most certainly in the East. Like Kyrie Irving goes to the Nets with Kevin Durant, although, of course, we know Durant's not going to play this year. Jimmy Butler to the Heat. Hassan Whiteside is gone, which that really surprised me. Horford. Tobias Harris on the Sixers. Harris was already there, but re-signs. Chris Middleton staying in Milwaukee, but Malcolm Brogdon has gone to the Pacers. And a lot of the stuff that you said, and 
I'll tell you what, you know, you, you can second guess yourself all you want. You're not alone because former Grizzlies and Kings head coach, you may have caught this, Dave Yeager, he was asked on the jump on ESPN who the favorite is in the conference. He said it's the Bucks, it's the Sixers, of course, pending Kawhi Leonard's return to the Raptors if that does happen. But he also added, I think the team that's getting lost here is Boston. They still have three wings that everybody else in the league covets. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward's going to be better, I think, two years removed from his injury. Uh, you don't want to be in a tight game against Kemba Walker. He will get you at the end. He makes big, sh- makes big shots, makes big plays. And let's not forget Isaiah Thomas. Best two years. We're at Brad Stevens, running it, has the ball all the time, making all the plays. Uh, this is a young team, though, that needs to get over holding the basketball. It's not my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. It puts a lot of pressure on the coach. Let's play. Here's our pecking order. This guy sets the table. Everybody else play off him. And, and I think if they do that, they can be successful. So, Ian, you can feel good knowing that you're not alone. Uh, not alone for one, you've got uh, you know a former NBA head coach on your side. But let's build on what you were just talking about, and obviously what uh, Dave was talking about there. What does it take for the Celtics, short of Kawhi leaving the conference? What does it take for for things to break right? You know, what's what's the chemistry of this group have to look like? And I, I say that in a, in a lot of you know, you can interpret it however you want, not just how well do these guys get along. The chemistry on the floor as well, all all-encompassing, what needs to happen for them to make that run as, you know, in a dream world to the NBA Finals, but even to just exceed what they did last year and reach the conference finals? I, I look at them potentially as a, a bunch of guys that have a lot to prove. Uh, a bunch of people that have talent but have not fulfilled it, and each in his own way. And they all have something desperate to prove and they're all coming off uh, tough times. And that to me is a, a great situation for a, a team with so much talent. And it starts with the coach. Um, Brad Stevens is coming off the toughest year maybe of his basketball career um, where there were all these high expectations and it all blew up in his face. Um, it, it was the first time that he coached a, a bona fide diva NBA superstar and it didn't work and uh and the team regressed they went they were they played worse with that star than uh than they had the year before when he was injured and then and then Al Horford um maybe maybe it was all about money but maybe he wanted to leave maybe he didn't like the vibe there and he didn't want he didn't want to be around anymore and he was looking to get out of it we'll we'll find out eventually anyway Brad Stevens, I, I look at as a guy with a lot to prove. Now, is he a bad coach? No. Um, but all these years when, when Brad was working his way up with the Celtics and, and, you know, we'd all always be asked, is he the best coach in the league? And my answer would always be no, absolutely not. You, there's mm-hmm. no way you can say somebody is the best coach in the NBA when he hasn't coached the team, the NBA finals, or hasn't won a championship because those are the toughest things to do because those are the toughest players to coach. The, co- the players that can win championships or get to the finals, those are the toughest guys to coach, and there's only a few guys in the league that can do it. And Brad still has not proved that he can do it now, coming off the Kyrie thing. That's the one thing left for him to show is that he can work with these guys that Popovich works with so well, or Phil Jackson was amazing at it, and, and it's a hard thing to pull off. Doc Rivers is very good at it. It's hard to pull off, and you don't know a guy can do it until he does it. And when you hear people around Brad talk about how he's taking this really hard and he's trying to figure out what he could have done differently, I think it all revolves around that. 
You know, of course, there's structural things. I'm sure he's looking at film and everything, but a lot of it has to do with relationships. And and so Brad's job this year is to convince Jason Tatum that you have a lot to prove. You have not done anything, and this is how you can prove it, by winning, by showing that you're part of a winning team and no one thinks we're going to do anything, and let's go out and, and get to the NBA Finals. But do it this way. This is how you've got to do it. If you win, then you're going to be the great player you want to be. And then you say the same thing to Jalen Brown. And, you know, and his relationship with Gordon Hayward, that's another one, where, where um, clearly the Celtics were under pressure to try to use last year to get Gordon Hayward back on his feet, literally. Um, but he didn't necessarily earn his playing time. Uh, and, and that had to create problems within the locker room. That, that was something that Brad had been great at earlier when they had all these, all these players. They had too many players on the roster in previous years, uh, but players would have to earn their minutes. Well, that seemed to go out the window a little bit last year with Gordon Hayward. So now he's got he's to restore those kinds of relationships and, and, and put people in positions where they're earning their minutes again. And, and there's a sense of fairness and people aren't worried about it. So there, there's a lot going on coming off last year. And yet I don't think anybody should be thinking lesser of the people involved. Um, throughout, throughout the history of the NBA, the great players, the great coaches, they've gone through times uh, where times were tough. I remember for years people would rip Greg Popovich and say he was getting outwitted by Phil Jackson. And look at Popovich now. So you learn from these times, you learn from these hard times, and it turns you into the great coach and the great player you're supposed to be. That's where I see the Celtics right now. That's that's how they have a chance to uh, to really do something next year if they see themselves as a bunch of guys with something to prove. Building on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, because you mentioned those guys, and and obviously, yeah, something to prove for both of them. Tatum kind of, I don't know, leveled off a little bit last year. I'm I'm not going to say he plateaued or anything like that. Some people have said that. I I, I don't believe that. I think he's going to take a step forward. He's going to take a leap forward, if not this year and the years to come. So I think last year was just he, he stabilized briefly, and then Brown got off to the slow start, figured it out in the second half when he actually came to terms with what his role was, and he had a very good playoff run as well. Tatum was kind of more stagnant throughout the year. But these two guys, and you've already said you believe that Kemba Walker's addition is going to help their development both on and off the floor, but are these two, do you think this year, ready to take those steps forward, ready to you know dust away all that criticism and, and take the chips on their shoulder and all of that, prove people wrong, to show what they can be in this league, the All-Stars or, or better for that matter, that we believe they are capable of being and, and justifying why Danny Ainge has been hesitant or downright refused to put them in trades for more established stars. Yeah, I, I think Jason Tams can be an all-star this year. And there's a little bit of faith built into that based on what we were just talking about a minute ago the, on, on Brad, Brad, the way Brad coaches him and his response to last year. And I think we'll look back and say <clears> – <throat> that Kyrie Irving was not a good influence on his game. I don't know about the influence on him as a person or anything like that, but just on the way he played and uh, what his role was in the offense. Um, he had, it was so well-structured when he was a rookie, and he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He, he knew the lane he was supposed to skate. And last year, clearly, to me, he didn't. And I think this year he's going to go back to knowing exactly who he is, who he's supposed to be, 
And I, I, I think this will be his big breakout year. Um, and then Jalen Brown, I look at as he should be looking at him. He should be, he should be looking at Kawhi Leonard. I don't think he'll ever be Kawhi Leonard, but he should be that kind of a two-way player. He, he should want to be one of these great two-way players in the NBA that locks down players of all different positions and then scores in a variety of ways and uses athleticism to dazzle you uh, in the open floor and makes threes, which is something really when he was a rookie, no one ever would have thought he'd be the three-point shooter he is already. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I think both of those guys, there's a clear path cut out for them that you can, you can envision. And, and I think there's a real sense of urgency too. Okay, they're, they're young players. But by now, the great players have shown who they are at the at the stages of their careers that they're in now. The, all the great players, they all do it by year three or year four, uh, especially in Jason Tatum's case. If he's going to be this all-NBA scorer, this has to be the year he shows it. If, if he doesn't show it this year, you, you would start to wonder, okay, maybe his ceiling isn't as high as we thought. So uh, there's a real sense of urgency to it. Uh, and th- that's that's another reason why I'm I'm a little bit optimistic about the team. One quick break just to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. NBA season's over. We know. We've been talking all about it. But it doesn't mean you can't still make money on basketball. You can already bet on who's going to win the 2020 title. Lakers plus 350. That's without Kawhi Leonard. The Celtics plus 1800. Sounds like a a bet you may want to consider, depending, of course, on uh, how you feel about their potential to make another move, or you're just high on their potential, as uh, Ian Thompson clearly is. That's something to think about as well. You can also make custom player bets during games. You could pick a player and a stat. BetOnline.ag will give you a line for it. It's pretty impressive. And odds, they're already out for player props for next year. Zion's points per game, that's set at 18.5. If you want free money, there's... Kevin Durant props for the 2019-2020 season as well. For instance, if you think he's not going to play the entire year, take the under on all of them. Pretty easy. Make sure you go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat to get a 50% bonus on your deposit of at least $25 when you sign up and use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left on the sideline with all this excitement going on on the court. Plus, you can play in BetOnline's virtual casino Make some money there, too. Whatever you do, make sure you use betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25. Just go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat and see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. All right, let's get back to the show. On Gordon Hayward, as you said, he didn't earn his minutes last year. He absolutely played more off the the front half of the year that I thought he was going to. I mean, I thought for the year he'd average about 25 minutes, meaning about, you know, 15 to 20 in the first half, 25 to 30 in the second half. And again, it brings him to about 25 for the year. But he was much closer, if if not right at 30. He played way more, especially early on, than people expected. As you said, and others have reported, probably created a rift in the locker room. And uh, even when he, he got going toward the end of the year and, and in that first playoff series, second one, he was invisible, much like many of his teammates for that matter. But now Kyrie gone, two years removed from the broken leg by the time the season starts and opening night rolls around. What do you anticipate from Gordon Hayward? How, how close will he be to what we saw that last year in Utah? See, I, I think he should have an all-star year too um, because – for as little as he shot last year, he did shoot the ball very well. And 
you can almost imagine a guy in his position knowing that the minutes he's getting, the role he's playing, uh, maybe causing some trouble in the locker room, wanting to be deferential. Um, Especially he's such a good passer and playmaker. That's a skill of his. So, but this year they they need so much more from him, and I he should be ready to do it. Uh, when you look at Paul George coming back from his similar injury, you know the second year he had a really good year, and and I would think the same for Gordon Hayward. Um, and again, with Kyrie Irving gone now, there's no there's no guy that they're all waiting to take over the game. There's nobody that well, we have to run everything through Kyrie before we, we get to run our offense. They're going to go back to uh, a Brad Stevens team. It was a Kyrie Irving team last year, and <clears throat> this year I see it as being a Brad Stevens team, which means what, what Dave Yeager was talking about in the clip you played earlier, Adam, about sharing the ball, quicker ball movement, uh, you know, a better sense of structure, uh, an identity offensively that, that – that endures, that goes from game to game to game, that doesn't change from day to day, depending on the whims of Kyrie. So um, I I think he's going to thrive in that situation. It's what brought him to Boston in the first place. And there'll be a real sense that he's earned it after all he's been through. Circling back to the Big Z, and because that was before the Ennis Cantor edition, that was the big question mark, and it's why I brought up again the trade possibilities. It was one of the things I talked about on last week's show with Jeff Goodman. He was advocating saying that, you know, the team should not necessarily make the deal, but dangle Jalen Brown to see if you can get one of the Indiana bigs, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis. Of course, plenty of people have talked about Clint Capella, but one of the names that experts haven't talked about or pundits haven't talked about, but certainly fans have obsessed over is DeMarcus Cousins. Boston's bigs right now are Ennis Cantor, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, if you want to call him a big, Daniel Tice, Gershon Yabaselli, Vincent Poirier. We don't know if they'll even ultimately all be there come opening day, but again, no cousins. And ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski actually said this on SportsCenter recently. There's not a market for him, Scott, and I think he thought, he hoped, some uh, big market teams would strike out, that have cap space, he could get a one-year... 12, 15, 18, 20 million dollar deal. It's not there. That's not happening. I don't even know if there's a mid-level, the mid-level exception he got in Golden State last year. I don't think that's there for him. So this is a guy that, again, things didn't go great for him in Golden State. Not on a personal level. He just, the production wasn't there. He has, he's not the same player, at least yet, off of the injury that he suffered. But this is a guy that for years, we all assumed anyway, you know, many of us, that Danny Ainge lusted after, you know, wanted to acquire from Sacramento. And the C's reportedly, I think Mark Murphy had this, reportedly weren't all that interested in the potential drama as they look to retool, which helps explain all these character additions that they've made and, and you know, quote-unquote good guys, if you will, and not uh, Cousins, who isn't a bad guy. In fact, he's he's regarded as, as a very good teammate and, and players in the locker room really like him, but you know, to to look at it and say that Boston wouldn't even be interested in bringing him in if it could for the veterans minimum, you know, low cost, high reward type of thing. Does this give credence to Danny Ainge being, you know, more inclined to go with with Brad Stevens and not being deferential, but to what his vision is, what his system is, what he wants in a player both on and off the floor? Like Jeff said, if if Danny was the coach, somebody like it, he just he wants talent. Someone like a Demarcus Cousins, he's on the team. But Brad, 
He doesn't want to deal with that type of stuff. He doesn't want to deal with the possible fallout, and maybe that explains why things didn't go so well with Kyrie Irving. As I ramble on, I guess, do you look at the Cousins situation in a similar light to all of that? I do. Um, if if they weren't very interested in trading for him when he left Sacramento to go to New Orleans, and that was before he was hurt, when people were saying he was the most talented center in the NBA, the best center in the NBA, other guys in the, the Olympic teams would say that about him. Um, if the Celtics didn't want to get him then, I, I just don't see why they would want him now, uh, especially coming off um, – Last year, uh, when and they haven't, they have enough, they have enough agendas to try to deal with. Um, you know, um, if players were playing selfishly last year, there's a lot there to try to restore. There's a lot of um, toxic stuff to get out of the bloodstream this year. And the last thing you need, I think, for this team, some teams could, some teams could handle Demarcus Cousins. They have they have a structure set up and they they could handle someone like him, but where the Celtics are, if they brought in a guy that isn't what he used to be, uh, is coming off a couple of injuries, uh, obviously feels like uh, misfortune has robbed him of tens of millions of dollars and uh, a status in the league as the best center, and is is dying to get back to where he was and. Probably never will. And that's that's the guy you're bringing in to play a bit role, to not be a centerpiece, but just to fill in so that uh, to help make uh, Jason Tatum look better. I, I don't think DeMarcus Cousins is that guy. I think you have a much better chance with Ennis Cantor providing the production. He's not the passer that DeMarcus Cousins is. He's not the visionary player that, that Cousins is. An injured or, or, or slower or heavier at DeMarcus Cousins has more talent than his Cantor, but Cantor can provide this production and can space the floor. And yeah, he'll cause a bit of a problem, but nobody's really going to take it all that seriously if he does. And uh, I, I just, I just think that um, it's Cantor's a better fit for where they are right now than, than DeMarcus Cousins. Well, we've done a lot on the Celtics team and what does and doesn't make sense and expectations. Let's talk a little bit about the league because the, you know, worst kept secret in the league winds up coming to fruition. You know what I'm talking about. It's Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant teaming up together. Kyrie gets his way. They go to Brooklyn, not New York. Uh, of course, still in New York. But this is some of what the guard had to say in an Instagram post. In my heart, I knew I always wanted to play at home. And home is where my heart is. And it's always been there simply because of such a great love that I have for my family and the way I grew up. I wouldn't change anything about this journey at all. It's brought me back here, and that's home. And home is where my family is. Home is where I want my legacy to continue. And I'm happy to be in Brooklyn. That jerk had to use Tom Brady's intro song, too. It just make, it makes it hurt even more. But that also means that Ian uh, Kyrie should probably have to apologize for this outburst from after the All-Star break. So it's a video of me and one of my best friends talking. And then it turns out to be a dissection of a free agency meeting. You get that? Like, you, do you get that? And then I'm asking, and I'm asked questions about it. Like, that, that's what disconnects me from all that shit. Like, because I, I have no connection to that. Like, 
over a video? I'm asking questions about the fans. You brought up the fans? Come on, man. You do it for the likes and clicks. Everybody does. Everybody wants to hear me talk like this. I know that people are hearing that and immediately thinking, I am not going to miss this guy. But and, and, and Kevin Durant, by the way, and I'm not going to play it, but he had a, a similar kind of rant right around the same time against Ethan Strauss. And again, just fed up with the media speculating about their future. And they did it at the same time and probably teamed up about the same time. But if you had to predict, Ian, right now, how we will describe the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan era in Brooklyn, what are we going to say? Uh, it's a reality show, you know, and it's it's not really a, a, a really well-written reality show, you know, <laughs> where um, it's going to be like one of those movies where the character, it's it's like if a movie was written and, and the character was written to do something in one scene and then does the opposite in the next scene and you save yourself watching the movie, well, why would the person who does this, why would they do that? That's a badly written scene. <laughs> but I think that's what we're going to see with them, uh, that it's um, two wonderfully talented players uh, who are both trying to figure out who they are. You know, they, they, we know who they are as players. They're, they're just so talented. But Tyree is clearly casting about trying to find a place where he can he can be this vision of himself, and Kevin Durant is uh, I, I've always been empathetic towards Kevin Durant because he's been he's been portrayed as his villain, but I just think he's he's still trying to figure out who he is. You know, um, LeBron James when he went to Miami, he was he was the villain, and America hated him. And he spent one his first year in Miami, that year when they lost to Dallas in the finals, he spent that year, uh, it's, it's, it's all in my book, actually. He spent that year trying to be something he wasn't. And at the end of that year, he realized, look, I've been fooling myself. I've been trying to fool everybody. This isn't me. And he doubled down on himself and figured out who he was. And ever since then, he's been very true to himself. And he's been very consistent in who he is. Kevin Durant became his own when he went to Golden State, and he's still playing that villain role, and it isn't who he is. He's not, he's not that kind of a guy. And, uh, but he, he's still casting about trying to figure it out, and now Kyrie is his partner. And so I, I, I just I wish him good luck trying to figure, figure out all of this in that kind of a setting in the New York market. Um, um, coming off the injuries, coming off of – I don't, I don't think they're going to be a championship team. Maybe they'll add another great player, and then they will be. Um, but right now, I, I think there, there are a lot more questions than there are answers about them. As excited as they are to have, have signed both these guys, it's a great thing for them. Uh, they kicked the Knicks' butt, made the Knicks look like dopes. Um, <laughs> but now, now you be careful what you wish for because you have to live with this and make it work and live up to these enormous expectations. I don't I don't know if they ever will. No, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to win a championship. Of course, that, like you said, maybe they add another great player that changes the narrative. But as things stand right now, 
I don't think they're a title winner. I don't even think they're going to make an NBA Finals during this era that those guys are together. We'll find out over time, and maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong. But as you said, those poor Knicks, no, if you want to feel bad for them, no Kyrie, no KD. They don't even get an, a meeting with the two of them. For that matter, according to a report, didn't even offer a max deal to Kevin Durant because of fear for the injury, which they've taken a lot of flack for, and quite frankly, part of me at least understands. But Nevertheless, it doesn't go down. They don't trade for Anthony Davis. They don't get lucky in the lottery and get Zion Williamson. There's no consolation prizes at all. I mean, the big free agent addition, who I love, I would have loved in Boston, but not who they were dreaming about in New York, Julius Randle. Kristaps Porzingis is gone. You know, they clear all that space, trade him away to Dallas, and have nothing to show for it. This is just an incredible mess for Jim Dolan. And they should be running the whole league. I mean, in this this era of free agency where the players get to decide where they want to go, everybody should want to go play for the Knicks. I mean, if it was, if it was just a functional franchise, if they just met the minimum standard of um, relevance and uh, and um, functionality, uh, but they aren't, and they haven't been, and it's all because of the owner. They bring in all. They bring in different executives over the years, and all these executives are, are very good. They're very competent. They're good at what they do. Uh, Scott Perry is an excellent uh, NBA executive right now for the Knicks, but there's just so much bad stuff built into uh, MSG, into the Madison Square Garden uh, administration, and it's just it, it's clearly we. Uh, you can look back in the last two decades and see see it's just too much for anyone to surmount, and it all starts with the owner. And he he'll he'll say, "Well, what do you want me to do? I brought in Phil Jackson. I got out of the way. Yeah, but you hired like a seventy year old guy who'd never done the job before, who's just happy to take the money. I mean, they just make one bad decision after another. When they when they have one good player on their team, Porzingis, and the relationship with him is so bad that he demands to be traded. And and so you trade him to clear cap space, which you can't fill, and you send a, you send a letter out to your season ticket holders in midseason hinting at the rumors that everybody's been hearing about Durant and Irving, making it sound, you know, adding to their, their expectation that you're going to get them, and then you don't even come close to getting them. It's they're they're just a train wreck. But it, it's it's I can't say it enough. It's not about the coach they have now because they've had a lot of good coaches over the years. It's not about the executives that are running the team now because they've had a lot of good executives over the years. It's the owner, and he he's just not capable of winning. In the spirit of train wrecks, just uh, one other thing on Kyrie before we move on. When he is introduced in Brooklyn, something I'm I'm very eagerly anticipating. Inevitably, some Boston reporters are going to be there, and should be, and he'll be asked about last year's preseason proclamation. Shared it with some of my teammates, as well as the organization and everyone else in Boston. You guys will have me back. I plan on re-signing here next year. What is he going to say when he's pelted with questions about changing course and what went wrong in Boston? Uh, what they all say, I'm moving on, that was the past, you know, and and... He he has this way of using a lot of words to say uh, nothing. That, yeah, yeah. So he'll <laughs> he might filibuster a bit, and and when he's done, you won't have any idea what he was saying. There's no way for him to cover it up, though. He said it, and within months he was retracting it. 
and it's it just shows it just shows that he really didn't know what he was getting himself into. Um, I I used to go into when I used to be around the Cavaliers team, you know, a lot. They were they were contenders, uh, and you would hear from people within the team the amount of respect that they had for LeBron and that LeBron is the real thing and sure he's passive aggressive and all that, but you know, he's consistent and they know who he is and what he's going to give you. And he sets a great example with his work and everything. Kyrie was always whispered about as just a strange guy going back to the Kobe comparison. So um, this is who he is. This is what you get. Maybe he'll figure it out the way Kobe did. You know, um, maybe he won't. That's why it's going to be interesting to see see them over the next couple of years. I'm not going to be watching them thinking that they're going to win championships. I'm going to watch them thinking it's just going to be an interesting character study. Yeah, it's hard knocks. I've made that comparison before. It's it's basketball hard knocks. But, uh, of yeah. course, uh, you know, you mentioned LeBron, and, and Kyrie could have gone to the Lakers. I don't know that that was ever a, a serious consideration, but, of course, people like to talk about it. Brian Windhorst floated it out a whole bunch. But, what kind of shape are the Lakers in with LeBron, with Anthony Davis, with Kyle Kuzma, and not a whole lot else of significance? And I know full well that could change. Kawhi Leonard could sign there. But as as we chat right now, that's not happening. You know, he could go there. He can go to the Clippers. He could go back to Toronto. So Kawhi Leonard is, is kind of the ultimate domino in the league. So, you know, when, when I ask you next about who your favorite is in the league right now, a lot of that I know is going to depend on Kawhi, but so does this question as far as where the Lakers are. What do you think? Well, you know, a month or two ago, I would have said they're incredibly dysfunctional and their, their general manager, Ron Palenka, has no credibility and, um, but then it doesn't matter how much you gave up. And I, I still think we're going to look back on the trade they made for Anthony Davis and say it was a good trade for them. You know, I, I think Anthony Davis will win championships in Los Angeles and LeBron will show him how to be um, this kind of hard-nosed playoff player that he hasn't had a chance to show. Um, in New Orleans, people would tell you that Anthony Davis needs someone like LeBron to show him the way, someone to show him – Look, you think you're you're hurting right now. You can play tonight. You can play through this. This is what the great players do. You think you're tired? Well, you need to work on this still because this is what the great players do. Um, he needed that bit of leadership, people felt, and now he's going to get it from the ultimate guy in the league of this generation. So I think that's, that's going to be a – whatever they gave up to New Orleans and as, as much as New Orleans is made of it, None of those guys is going to be able to lead a team to a championship, and I think Anthony Davis will, so it's going to be a good trade for them. So now it all – it really – whatever we decide about the Lakers, it really all comes down to Kawhi Leonard. Um, if if they do get Kawhi Leonard, now they have, what, three of the top four players in the NBA hmm. maybe. Um, and and uh, LeBron becomes the facilitator for, for those two guys and uh, – they'll have no trouble filling out their team and they'll be the championship favorite and they'll they'll probably win it and they'll win two or three or LeBron will be close to uh, catching up with Michael Jordan by the end and we'll have a real argument over who is the best player ever. Um, If they don't get Kawhi Leonard, now we're looking at uh, very good role players. If they can get those guys to fill out the roster, uh, they'll still be a very attractive destination for players. You know, if, if, 
I, I'll take a million dollars less and go to Lakers because I get to be a Laker and be on this contending team and all that. So I think they're going to be in, in decent shape, but they'll just be one of many contenders next year. Um, the other thing, if Kawhi doesn't go there, I think LeBron's going to have just an amazing year where uh, where he'll put up the same kinds of numbers that he put up when he was with Kyrie. But this is the first summer that he's had a full summer's rest. And he talked about giving somebody that's already proved so much having something to prove. He's taken a lot of heat over the last few months that, you know, people are talking about him as an afterthought and that he let the Lakers down and should they try to trade him and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he's hearing every word of it. And I expect him to have an amazing year next year, LeBron. So um, they'll, they'll be very good no matter what. If, if, they have, if they do get Kawhi, they'll be unbeatable. Well, since you covered that scenario, let's say Kawhi doesn't go there. If he goes to the Clippers or if he re-signs in Toronto. And, and honestly, I, I don't even know what I expect him to do at this point. Nobody seems to have a, a really clear handle on on what Kawhi's decision is going to be. But who's then the the championship favorite at that point, do you think, if, if again, Kawhi's not with the Lakers? That, that would be awesome if he didn't go to Lakers because – we could talk for days and days about who could win and there'll be a number of different teams and it will be the first time in quite a long time where we had that kind of uh, argument. It'll be like going into an NFL season and you just won't know who's going to win it. And there's going to be a lot of different teams that could, the Portland trailblazers could win it if he doesn't go. Um, um, the Rockets, that could be after everything they've been through and they tried to, undo their team and get Jimmy Butler, they could win it. Uh, Toronto could win it again if he stays in Toronto. Um, the league is going to be wide open if Kawhi doesn't uh, go to Lakers. And it'll be a very cool thing if he doesn't go there. Um, um, and you won't need to have this super team anymore. Two, two stars will be enough to win it next year if Kawhi doesn't go to uh, go to Lakers. So, I think we're all waiting to see how, how the whole league is going to turn out. You know, this this last week of free agency, it's just been like a big reset for the NBA. There's been such an exchange of talent. Um, uh, and now uh, and now this is the final sort of piece of it. Is it really going to be a reset? And what kind of a reset? Is it going to be a reset where you have another super team replacing the Warriors? Or is it going to be wide open? That's That's what it comes down to with Kawhi. I am definitely interested to see, uh, I'm sure someone will have the statistic by the time opening night rolls around, what percentage of the league was on a different team last season. One of those guys, of course, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him, this being Celtics beat, Isaiah Thomas. He joined the Wizards, one-year deal for him to once again try to show that he's back, that he's ready to contribute. But unlike in Denver, where that opportunity really wasn't there, I expect he's going to get that in Washington. I know a lot of C's fans aren't thrilled that he wasn't on Danny Ainge's radar this summer. I understand it for a range of reasons. I wouldn't have been shocked by it either if he came in at the veterans minimum for a chance to, um, you know, put himself back together under the guy that that made him great, Brad Stevens. But is this a good fit for him in Washington, knowing that John Wall is, you know, probably not going to stay healthy and, and there's not a whole lot else there? It is. It's, it's a little bit like the situation that he came to with Boston. Not as young of a team, maybe, but... Um, you know, a, a team that, that needs what he offers um, and doesn't and can just go for it for one year with Isaiah Thomas without making it a long-term relationship. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I would think this is a, a great, great move for both sides. You know, he gets to go to a team where there's some talent around them, and Bradley Beal, uh, he should play very well with Isaiah. Uh, and if Isaiah is able to play, you know, if he's, if he's close to what he used to be, then he's really going to help them. Um, and he'll, he will give them a bit of an identity. You know, they, they're in an underdog situation, and that's exactly who he is. Uh, he, if he's playing well, if he's playing anything like he did for Boston, the fans will come out. Uh, there'll be something to cheer for. You know, and, and you, you, he, makes a, he makes a mediocre team look better just because he's exciting, the way he wins games, the way, the way he plays, just to see a little guy having that kind of influence in the game. So I, I, I think it was great for both sides. Ian, just a general league note that I feel like isn't, I mean, it's it's increasingly talked about. It's not like it's ignored, but I don't feel like it's talked about enough. The calendar, of course, sucks. You know, free agency should start before the draft. Many, including Danny Ainge, have advocated for that. And really, I'm sure there, there are reasons why this can't happen from a, a league year type of, of situation. But free agency should begin the day after the finals end. I mean, there, there's so much tampering to begin with. It's ridiculous. Everybody does it. Nobody really hides it. You know, for instance, Kemba Walker, let's let's bring it home to Boston. Kemba Walker agrees to turn with the Celtics basically at six on the nose. And it's not like he had a 30-second chat with Danny Ainge, decided Boston's the perfect fit for him, and off they went. You know, it, this goes on everywhere. Teams talk with players' camps. I wouldn't be surprised if the GMs and or coaches themselves talk with players very quietly behind the scenes we all know what happens so what's the point of holding things off as long as they are and, and most especially the moratorium which is just so ridiculous yeah I, i've been hearing for so many years that they ought, to, they ought to change the order around and do free agency and then the draft and then you do the draft based on your team the team you know you have right. you know uh and and then the the draft really becomes uh, a, a pinnacle event where you've gone through all this free agency and now it really it really is the end of of this run that the NBA gets with the the playoffs and the finals and the free agency and then um and then you go on to it the one bit of it that's unseemly would be you know you win a championship and the next day your guys leaving you know or you have a great year uh, you lose, you lose an NBA Finals, and the very next day, you know now you have to be on the phone and working out your next deal because if you don't do it right now, you get shut out. Mm-hmm. That that's the only tough part about it. That I, I would think the NBA wants to give some space, some breathing space, so that you have a few days to to sit and think about the NBA Finals and what you just saw. As opposed to okay, quick, pack up the NBA Finals and let's move on to free agency now. You know that that that's a tough bit of timing for anybody to pull off, and they would they would have to, I guess, extend free agency out enough where it wouldn't have to happen right away, where you could have some breathing space after after the finals. What about the tampering then? Does does the league just not care? Well, I, I think they only care if a team protests. And nobody can protest because they all do it. So they have this, uh, it's sort of like, this is like a very, very light version of NCAA basketball where they all cheat. <laughs> yeah. And they all offer money under the table and they're all, 
the family, we sign a player and the whole family moves to the town and they all have jobs in the town, <laughs> you know, and that, that stuff goes on all the time in the NCAA basketball. So this is like a tiny little harmless version of that where the coaches and the executives, they've all agreed, okay, we're all going to do this and nobody's going to complain, right? And Okay, right, okay, then let's just go ahead and do it. The, the NBA basically does tampering investigations when a team complains, when a team asks them to look into it. And that's when they do it. And then, of course, they almost never find anything that, you know, nothing's going to get anybody banned or suspended or anything like that. Mm. So um, I, I don't it, – it's going so well for the NBA, this 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 whole free agency uh, circus. It's, it's such a, a huge source of attention and ultimately revenue for them that there's no way that they're going to do something to hinder it. You know, it's a little bit like drugs in sports. Uh, is the NFL really ever going to want to find out about – human growth hormone, right. you know, people watch the NFL for this, uh, for big players. So they don't want to, uh, baseball, if guys are hitting home runs, they don't want to increase drug testing. They just want guys to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. Well, NBA, they, they don't want to investigate tampering because they do so well with all the attention they get from free agency. Well, and especially across social media, you know, that's what really takes it to uh, to new levels than ever before because the players themselves get into it with all the emojis and everything else. But, you know, we can go on and on about that and everything else we've talked about. But before I do let you go, if anyone is unfamiliar with your book, again, it's The Soul of Basketball, the epic showdown between LeBron, Kobe, Doc, and Dirk that saved the NBA. You brought it up just a, a little bit before talking about LeBron's first year in Miami. Can you tell the listeners just a, a bit about what to expect for, you know, for people that do go out and get the book on, on Amazon or wherever else they find it? Yeah, you know, the, and the, the NBA is just so different from the other leagues. If you go back and, and look, since Bird and Magic came into the league, all of the championships have been won by a few players. I, I, back in 20, the 20, the, my book focuses on the 2010-11 season when LeBron left Cleveland to go to Miami and Pat Riley taught him during that year how to become the winner that he's become. Uh, and so Pat Riley opened up to me, spent nine hours talking to me about uh, his career and and the things he, he tried to pass on to LeBron. Doc Rivers, Danny Ainge spent a lot of time with me. Paul Pierce talking from the Celtics' point of view. Dirk Nowitzki's story is told in the book. But I was sitting in Mitch Kupchak's office back then and uh, before the 2011 playoffs, and I handed him a piece of paper. Uh, he was the GM of the Lakers at the time, and it had a list of all the players that had won NBA championships from Bird Magic's first year through 2010. And I don't know, it was like 14 guys who won all the championships. Hmm. And it's just an amazing thing to think about that if you don't get one of these players, um, you can't win. Now Trent Dilfer won an NBA, won a won an NFL Super Bowl. He, you know he's not on that NBA list of guys. Who, Trent Dilfer's don't win in in the NBA. Mike Trout is the best player in baseball, and he can't even get his team into the playoffs. The, the influence of a great baseball player is nothing like the influence of a great basketball player. So how do you develop these guys? How do you find them, and then how do you develop them? LeBron was the most gifted player ever. And yet he had to learn all of this stuff so that he could know how to make use of his gifts, so he could be a real leader. And that's what this book is all about. It's about how Paul Pierce became a leader and how Doc Rivers helped 
people become leaders. And, and Greg Popovich, who opened up to me in the book, and Pat Riley and uh, Kobe Bryant uh, spent time with me for the book. Um, all, all these different guys, and they all sort of beat up on LeBron during that year and taught him how to be a leader. And the, the story of that year ends up becoming the, the, the story of the NBA. How, how do you turn these young guys who think they know everything into real champions? Well, if Greg Popovich opened up to you, I think we know it's a good book because he hasn't opened up to anybody. Yeah, I've known him for a long time. <laughs> you know, working at Sports Illustrated all those years, you'd go into a, a, a city, and at that time, Sports Illustrated was a big deal, you know? And so you would get time alone with with all these different players and coaches. That if I worked for a newspaper, I couldn't get. Yeah. So you'd, you end up developing relationships with all these people, and then when I come to write a book, they, they just assume it's the same kind of relationship. So I spent three hours with Greg Popovich uh, um, just talking about the history of his team and how he built it up and what he looks for in players and uh, what works and what doesn't. And it was really, really, even if I hadn't been writing a book, I would have loved to have just spent the time with him. Well, Ian Thompson, I really appreciate you uh, spending time with us. A lot of incredible insights and, and just analysis of this team, the Celtics team, the league, its makeup, the direction it's going, and, of course, the book. You know, I've always enjoyed your writing, so something that uh, I need to make sure I put on my summer reading list as well. Ian Thompson, the book is called The Soul of Basketball, the epic showdown between LeBron, Kobe, Doc, and Dirk that saved the NBA. Ian, thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Adam. Really appreciate it. Great stuff again for me, and and uh, I guess summer sh- summer shows are long shows, but you know I, I don't care because there's just so much to talk about, especially this first show right after the start of NBA free agency. So I hope you enjoyed it. Go back, listen if there's anything that you need to further digest and uh, you know really think about because there was a lot there, and obviously Ian is high on the potential, no guarantees, the potential of this Celtics team, and I, I think there's reason to be for various. Reasons that we didn't even explore here in this show today that we can do in the weeks and months ahead, depending on what other moves Danny Ainge makes. But it's been long enough. Let's get out of here. You need to get on with your, uh, I don't know, day after barbecues and, and whatever else. I hope you have a great rest of your holiday weekend, that you had a great fourth, enjoyed some fireworks, and you're at least content with the Kemba Walker fireworks this particular offseason. Because you could actually argue biggest free agent signing the Celtics have ever made, you know, was Al Horford. Gordon Hayward trumped that, and Kimba Walker's better than both those guys. So there you go. Let's end on a high note. Thanks to Ian, my producer Evan, Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media, most especially you. Subscribe to Celtics Beat on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find us. You can get me on Twitter, as you've been doing so much over the course of, of the last few weeks. Really appreciate it. At Adam M. Kaufman. Welcome any and all new followers. Hopefully I don't uh, alienate you too quickly. Once again, this show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your next deposit. Again, at Adam M. Kaufman on Twitter, Celticsbeat on iTunes. That's it. Gino, get us out.
Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.